This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm going to be honest, I am uh, very tired. I'm maybe even exhausted, emotionally exhausted. It's been a rough week, rough, I guess, almost two weeks now, all the protests and the, the police brutality going on. And also, not to mention, I, I didn't sleep too great last night. So, but it's okay. It's okay. You know, we're, we're, we're all pros here. We'll, we'll get through it and uh, we'll, we'll put on a show. Yeah. Grind time, grind time. The grind is on. Uh, especially like since we're so long at the quarantine and obviously there's these, uh, there's, there's just so much social movement going on. Uh, what with the pandemic and obviously, as you mentioned, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, so let's, let's just get into that as our first topic. So uh, the, the big thing around uh, just this week, right? We talked about it a bit last week, but this week the the, the new developments where there were a number of statements uh, that that came out from was it the teams uh, as well as a, a number of players. So what were your what were your thoughts on these statements? Uh, well, well, it's kind of it's kind of all like a blur because so much has happened. But I'm pretty sure it started with Evander Kane, kind of calling out for other white athletes, specifically hockey and specifically Sidney Crosby, to make statements and to make their voices heard. And I think the first one was his teammate, Logan Couture, who, who came out with a statement. And he was followed uh, pretty soon after by guys like, I think, Blake Wheeler, Jason Zucker were among the first couple. And then it kind of uh, it kind of really took off after that. I think at least 50 players came out with some sort of some sort of statement. Some of them obviously stronger than others. Uh, Jonathan Taves, one of the one of the strongest, notably, and um, also every team except for the New York Rangers came out uh, and made some sort of statements. Although personally, I wouldn't attach too much uh, too much meaning to uh, a statement without a name associated to it. That's just a brand. So I mean, if you had said a couple weeks ago that this many players would have said something, it would have been a, a really pleasant surprise. So this is a step in the right direction. But on the other hand. I think most people would agree the bar was pretty low to begin with. And I hope that players don't just, you know, say, oh, we, we did it. We, we spoke out. Our work here is done. So uh, as long as they can keep this moving forward and keep like maybe donating like Patrice Bergeron and P.K. Subban did, I'm not sure if there were any others, then, uh, then that would be steps in the right direction. Right, because these statements are, you know, one step, but definitely a positive step, uh, especially as you mentioned, the bar so low because, you know, with, with the NHL, all these players, none of them want to rock the boat. So you tell me that, you know, 50 plus players commented, that's that's great. And it means that this movement is really something, something special, I'd say, because and it's nothing we've really seen in our lifetimes in terms of actually getting hockey players to speak up on a social issue. Um but yeah, what th- these statements are the first step, right? And I want to see these people, these players, you know, back it up, uh, and, and not, you know, just with with actions uh, in in the in the present, you know, like donation, PK Subban, and as you mentioned, but also, you know, when this, if this issue, and I think it will, when it when it dies down in the future, I don't know when it will, but it eventually will die down from the media landscape and whatnot. Like, what will these players do to continue advocating and continue to act and continue to donate and to con- continue to speak out uh, when it comes to this issue? Uh, because that's what really matters. Like, uh, you know, I saw a lot of statements. It's all milk toast. You know, there's there's nothing much behind them. Um, but wanna, And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of players that did what the, the, the Blackout Tuesday Instagram post. Well, sure, that's all easy and, and stuff. And, and, congr- and, and I congratulate them for doing good for them uh, for at least taking that one basic step. 
But what I want to see is what are you going to do now and in the future to take it further to show that you it actually matters to you and that, you know, a lot of these players say they want to educate themselves. Well, show me that you actually have. Yeah, that's, that's the one worry, especially with the, the – well, Crosby is the one that comes to mind first because he was so pressured into saying something that it might have just been – I don't know who his agent is or, like, his PR team maybe kind of coming up with a statement that he had uh, nothing or maybe – just a little bit to do with in terms of crafting it so in ter- of how genuine that was like we can't really know same thing with Connor mcdavid so that's where a little bit of the concern is that they're just kind of forget about it and move on and some of these team statements too were really weak i mean like the new york islanders one is the first one that comes to mind in which they like the last in their last little paragraph they said something about thanking police officers that that do a good job or something like that like read the room islanders like it's not not the time for for congratulating police officers. I don't know if there's ever a time for that, but that's a different discussion altogether. And like, I, I think I said like the bar was really low for the, these teams, these brands, like just say something. And the Islanders kind of crawled under it. Yeah. And it wasn't just the Islanders. Um, the blues were guilty as well. I recall seeing something on Twitter or something that you sent me, like none of the, none of the teams mentioned anything about police brutality in their statements. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's to be expected in a sport like hockey and in a business that it is, you know, it's all corporations and whatnot. It's all money oriented. I don't want to alienate anybody, but come on at this point, um, this kind of, this kind of movement, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of basic human rights at this point. Right. And, and it's very disappointing uh, to see these weak statements. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, the New York Rangers didn't put anything out. And I'm just, I like, I'm just very disappointed. I'm disgusted uh, by that organization. I think it was, I think it was because of the position of the owner. Right. I think James Dolan owns the Madison Square Garden company or group or whatever. They also own the Knicks and whatnot. And they say, what, they didn't want to make a political statement. Well, you know what? Saying nothing is a political statement on its own. And you're saying you don't really care. And and, and so, and and this is a, a team that hasn't done anything. on. They haven't promoted anything with Black Lives Matter. And they house a couple of players. I don't know if we've talked about them before, but frankly, there are a couple of racists uh, in Brendan Lemure and, uh, you know, Tony D'Angelo. Uh, and what, like the, just a few days ago in, in, in the midst of this whole movement, right? They retweeted this new podcast that these two players are starting. And so you want to talk about read the room or well, fucking read the room there. Uh, I mean, just, just with the Rangers in particular, it just seems like, you know, it's not just that they're doing, you know, they're putting out a weak statement like all the other organizations, but it just seems like they're taking all the wrong steps from not saying anything uh to you know it seems like they, they've got their priorities all out of whack this is the same team that uh, not very long ago at all took like i think five hours to uh, come up with a week sta- statement addressing keandre miller getting harassed on a fan zoom call just after sign just after signing his first nhl contract with the rangers and, and they co- wait a couple hours say something about that and then kind of hope it, everyone kind of forgets about it. Then they go out of their way to retweet this new podcast that Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux are coming up with. And then they say absolutely nothing about the Black Lives Matter movement. No, not only that, they uh, the owner, James Dolan, says that he won't be saying anything. So that is arguably even worse than saying nothing at all. I would say definitely even worse than saying nothing at all. So how is someone like Keandre Miller supposed to feel comfortable in that dressing room with those two players playing for this team, this organization. And how do you expect uh, your black fans or fans of color, especially black fans to do a feel about rooting for this team? How do you expect to, after you put up such, such terrible look for the Rangers, terrible optics like that. And I think they should really be ashamed. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even as a, as a neutral fan, a guy who doesn't really care about the Rangers on a daily basis, I don't hate them, I don't love them, uh, but this definitely, you know, tarnishes their reputation in my eyes as a fan uh, when you when you do this kind of bullshit. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. You know, a similar instance, I'll point to the NFL. You know, Drew Brees came out with a with a weird statement. You know, it was totally irrelevant. He talked about the flag, uh, and that's why he didn't agree with kneeling. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I, I like Drew Brees as a player, but the thing is with, with sports, right, you're, you're looking at them uh, not only as, you know, entertainment, but also you're, you're sort of looking at them as, as role models as a way, you know, especially with the younger fans. And, and how can I consider uh, a team like the Rangers or, you know, in that situation with Drew Brees, how can I consider them a role model when, you know, sure, I watch them on the field, I watch them on the ice, but, you know, we're also looking at how they are as people. And when, when you come out with statements like that uh, with the Rangers and, and just their actions as a whole, you know, you really can't, you can't say that's, that's the kind of behavior you want to role model at all for, for me, myself, and, and all sorts of other young fans uh, that, that, you know, follow, the, follow hockey. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's, it's very disappointing. And, and as a whole, this whole, this whole thing, Right. Uh, it's, it's definitely tarnished my view uh, of the New York Rangers. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned this to you. My like, it's probably a pipe dream. But when the NHL, they plan to return probably uh, at the absolute earliest in late July. I hope that they don't play the anthems, either American or Canadian. I know that, that there's a very slim, slim to none chance of them following through with any anything like that, which would seem maybe drastic. But I hope I think it would be a fantastic thing to do, and if they but if they don't, which was probably the case, I hope that every single player and staff member kneels or sits down during the anthem to show solidarity, solidarity, show support. Because at this point, you have to pick a side; you can't stay neutral. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, to be honest, I don't really have any hope for that kind of thing. Uh, right? This uh, I've I've seen like it was a JT Brown. He did. Uh, he got no support when well, I think he raised his fist during a game. And this was only a few years ago. Uh, so this is a league that does not like to rock the boat, as I said before. Uh, it really doesn't like to make these statements. And for a lot of these players, it just seemed like, especially for Cindy Crosby, uh, that's the first one to come to mind because he's just been, you know, on the mind of many recently. Uh, it's just, uh, it's I, I really don't see it happening because you know it just seemed like a lot of them they were they were kind of pushed into doing it. And they don't really, you know, they, they're not totally, the hearts are to, the hearts are not totally into it. Uh, and if I contrast with the NFL again, I mean, that's where uh, I think a lot of them and, and perhaps the entire league, I, I saw a statement earlier from one of the players, Adrian Peterson, he said he was, he said they were planning on, you know, entire teams kneeling uh, for, for an extended period of time during the anthems. Well, you know, with the NFL, uh, you know, first of all, their, their player base is much more diverse, right? You see a lot more black players. Uh, so, you know, I definitely see it happening there, right? The NHL is what the vast majority of them are white. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think when you said it's probably a pipe dream, I think I'd side with that because I really, I said to you, I, I said this to you yesterday. I just, I, or maybe it was the day before. I really don't see the NHL taking this bold of a step. When you look at all the team statements, I don't see how they could possibly get behind this. Yeah. Yeah. Very very unfortunate, very exhausting emotionally things to think about and to discuss. So, uh, yeah, we've already spent about 11 and a half minutes on that. Uh, the NHL did come out with a little bit of news that made that most people were on board with. So if, we were, if we're ready to move on to that, then I guess we will. Uh, they officially announced that they'll be reseeding the playoffs all the way through. So that means no bracket, and that means we don't know 
what the matchups are going to be ahead of time, which, you know, I, I kind of argued on behalf of the bracket a little bit. But yeah, I definitely prefer this. And I think the more people are talking about it, the more people have convinced me that this is probably the ideal solution to go with long term for the NHL. And I think if they get a good feedback on it, which I expect they have been, that uh, it might not take very long at all to actually move out of this current format that they've been using for the past seven years or so and switch into reseeding full time. Yeah, I mean, look, congratulations, NHL. Uh, it seems like for two weeks in a row now, uh, we talked about the draft lottery last week. Uh, and this week with this, I know it's a small announcement, but I think it's still significant. I was I was pretty heavily in favor of reseeding uh, this playoffs and as, as well as future playoffs when it, yeah, when it comes to the playoffs. And it, it like with it, this is definitely a great first step, uh, reseeding. It seems that they're over the bracket. Uh, and I hope this carries over to years in the future. Because I was sick of the bracket, it was punishing teams that you know that did that that finished at the top of the conference, and so yeah, I think they nailed it on this one. I think reseeding is a hundred percent the way to go this year and in the future. Because really, if you don't, you're kind of throwing out the regular season in the trash in the second round and, and beyond. Yeah, the other small piece of news was that uh, rounds one and two of the playoffs, they weren't sure if it was going to be five games or seven games yet, and they officially announced they will be seven games. So basically, after the play-in, it's going to be just like a normal playoff, except for the fact that they'll be reseeding instead of bracketing. So uh, I like that too. I mean, the only opposition, I think, that could have possibly been time constraints. Because if you want to, I don't know, I'm trying to think, it would be like, what, uh, seven to ten days total added if uh, seven-game series instead of five-game series. So like that's probably not a big deal in the big scope of things like what you you're pushing the draft and free agency back like a week and a half like it's okay if you want to you know because i think a lot of players i think crosby even says something like want it to be uh uh, as close to real playoffs as possible and i mean some people might say that these extra games are like an added unnecessary risk but like if you can play five a five game series safely then you should be able to play a seven game series safely too yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't really have any issues. In fact, you know, I, I like this. I like this decision as well. I mean, uh, I, I didn't really see any need to, to change it from years past in terms of the seven games. Uh, and look, it's added revenue for the NHL, right? So I bet they took that into account. And yeah, if they can do five games safe, they can almost definitely do seven games safe. And what's the, the how many, who cares, week and a half, two weeks uh, that they tack on to the end that pushes everything back? Well, at this point, Everything is is delayed by a month, two months, three months. So, you know, seven, ten days, it doesn't really move the needle for me at all. Uh, So, yeah, seven games. It's more hockey for us. Uh, And, you know, if we're trying to keep this uh, as much as a legitimate playoffs as possible in these crazy circumstances, I mean, I think absolutely seven games absolutely helps because it's been seven games for, I don't know, for a long time now. Uh, And... Yeah, there was, there was no real reason to change it unless you really had some real scheduling problems. But it seems that the NHL has gotten over that. They don't really see any issues. So, yeah, seven games. Uh, and, yeah, it's looking good. And it looks like the NHL is, you know, it's, it's probably one of the faster leagues in terms of making these kind of decisions for, for return to play. Yeah. Uh, didn't the NBA say something too? Like, didn't they, didn't they have, like, a confirmed plan now, like a 22-team return coming to playing in Disneyland or something? Yeah, that 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 plan is slowly forming. Uh, they've got twenty-two teams. I think their plan actually, they're gonna have unbalanced conferences because you know they're not gonna have two uh, two hub cities. They're just gonna put everybody in Disneyland, and they're gonna have the top twenty-two teams 
I think it's regardless of conference. So I think you're going to have 13 teams from one conference, I think it's the West, and nine from the other. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't have any problems with that either. Uh, it looks like the NBA is getting their stuff together. Uh, and, you know, look, they, they're doing the 22 teams uh, while the NHL is doing the 24. And we talked about this earlier. I think, I think the 24 number, and this is really coming to light now, is they really wanted to get Chicago and Montreal in there. Yeah, yeah, there's no question that that was the driving force behind 2014s, which we talked about at length. And as a Habs fan, I, of course, have no problem with it at all. I am looking forward to their series against the Penguins. And one of these other things about the reseeding that we touched on a little bit was that because, okay, you have the like the top four seeds in each conference are totally up in the air because of the round robin. And, of course, the winners of the plane is totally up in the air. So, basically, no one has any idea at all who's going to play who in, in the first round. At this point, like any team in the top four has like as good a chance as any other team of playing any other team. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Obviously, like the top four teams can't play each other, but like take pick any of the top four teams in the East, for example, Washington, Philadelphia, Tampa, Boston, any of them have like it's basically uh, an even shot at whoever's going to finish in fourth place. And that team would probably end up playing the Penguins. So, like, I guess, you know. I, I think you understand what I'm saying in terms of how random it's going to be. But, like, there really is, the more I look at it, a big incentive to not finish last in the the round robin in the East because you're probably going to end up playing Pittsburgh. And I think that uh, all the other, you know, the ones after that, Carolina, Islanders, Toronto, or whoever it is, Columbus, Florida, is a much easier matchup than the Penguins. Yeah, so so you really do, you know, I talked about how silly the round robin is. But, you know, if you want people to take it seriously and, you know, you don't want it to be a total clown show, uh, you make it so that there actually is a reward, right, at the end of it. Uh, so uh, that's what it seems to be uh, with this whole reseeding thing, right? You, you said it perfectly, I think. Uh, look, I'm, I'm excited, uh, you know, to summarize this whole playoff bit. I am, I cannot wait to, frankly, just make predictions uh, for hockey games. Uh, and, you know, I just, I want to pick some series. Uh, and, you know, maybe even make a bracket, but with receding mm-hmm. in it, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, um, and the NHL, credits to them. I give credit, absolute credit to them. Uh, it's just they, they've been moving pretty steadily on this. Obviously, you know, there was some chaotic times, but now it seems like they've really settled down. They're making some good decisions week after week, you know, and you know, I think there was the announcement that they've opened some facilities in a limited basis, and, you know, they've, they've, we were starting to see you know, some dates pop up, you know, like, you know, potentially what I think is in July, they're going to open up training camps at the earliest, right? It could be later. July 10th. Track it, no, July 10th, right. Uh, and so, right, it's the earliest date. Obviously, if we push back, if things go wrong. But, you know, we have some dates. We have some structure. We know how the playoffs are probably, like, the structure of the playoffs. And, yeah, couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm happy, at least for now, that we have one date set in stone to look forward to, which is phase one of the draft lottery. Because I feel like, honestly, I feel like the draft lottery, the NHL has done a much better job of marketing it uh, ever since they changed the format in 2016 to the top three teams. Because before that, it was kind of just like a, a, a nothing date on the calendar. Like, oh, Bill Daly draws cards, who cares? And it was usually like they would squeeze it. At like I think one year they even had it like the second intermission of some playoff game they did it. And like, and I think it was, honestly, it might have even been like only two or three years ago that they really said, no, this is a big event. This is one of our marquee events. Let's give it its own night because a lot of fans are really interested in where the in where these top players are going to go to. And obviously this year is no different 
uh, even though all the, the circumstances, not to mention this year, we, we don't even know for sure if we're going to find out who wins the first pick on, uh, in, on that draft lottery night. Yeah. So look, they, they, they've definitely, uh, you know, they've definitely gone big on the marketing on this draft night. Uh, and yeah, I remember, I remember when it was in this, like it was some random intermission in a playoff game. I was like, Oh, okay. We're deciding where, uh, I think it was, it might've been the Austin Matthews draft, actually. I don't remember uh, where, you know, okay, that's how we're going to determine it. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's the draft lottery. What's the date again, exactly? Uh, June 26th. So a little okay. bit under three weeks away. All right. That's actually, that's actually closer than you think. Uh, especially with time going all wacky as it is uh, when you're, when you're locked up inside in quarantine. Uh, so yeah, 20 days away. That's very exciting. Uh, and we'll finally see some actual hockey you know, something that actually, some hockey stuff that isn't mm-hmm. solely about, you know, planning the playoffs. Yeah, uh, very looking forward to that. Speaking of the draft, if you're ready to to dive into our, our new segment right now, unless you have anything else to touch on with the, the playoffs? Nope. We're ready to go. All right. So uh, we mentioned this last week that we would start a little uh, draft profile, little player profile thing. So the two players we've selected to discuss this week are two Swedish defensemen, uh, William Volander of Modo and Emil Andre of HV71. Uh, two defensemen, William Wallander and Emil Andre, are uh, pretty different, I would say. Uh, I do want to make something clear, though. We aren't prospect experts at all by any means, so we aren't here as much to like teach you about these players as we are to kind of just learn about them together and maybe pique your interest to learn about them yourselves. So I know you, you were kind of cramming a little bit, uh, about these players. I've been doing like a bit more steady research over the past while, so I don't have like any specific things off the top of my head. But from what I've gathered, these are two kind of high, uh, high ceiling, low floor players, so kind of like boomer bust picks. And I have them both ranked in the first round. William Wallander is more of a, he's six or four, he's very big. And if all goes, uh, if all goes well in terms of his development, I think he could probably be like not as good as Victor Hedman, but like that mold of player. Like a, a big defenseman who also has like a lot of offensive upside. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe top pair potential. I don't know, but definitely a really good top four guy. I would definitely take a flyer on him in the first round. And Emil Andre is more of a. He's a lot smaller, uh, five foot nine, and his game is uh, very you know offensively based, puck skills, uh, power play type of defenseman. So and maybe in more of like the the Eric Brandstrom mold, I guess. So I don't know. You you probably did a lot of work in the past couple of days looking into these guys. So I want to know what your thoughts are. Okay. So uh, you know, first off, you know, comparing these prospects, they're 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 also they're actually pretty similar. They're both you know more of the new age defensemen, uh, wherein you know they can both you know move up and down the ice. Uh, both are actually pretty offensive minded, but in terms of, you know, the big difference is the size, right? And so William Wallander, uh, the ceiling is higher for him, but I think the floor is lower. Uh, so I think there's a greater range, but I think I like him better as a prospect because, uh, well, first of all, the draft, you really want to go for that talent, right? And especially in the first round where we've seen just throughout history, drafts are kind of a crapshoot, especially in the NHL. Uh, so you really want to go over that you kind of do want to go for the boomer bust, uh, especially in he's probably going to both of these guys. You know, there, there's a you know there's an interesting range. They probably they might go in the mid first, uh, and they maybe might fall into the second round. Uh, so, absolutely, they're both worth the flyer. But William Wallander, I really like his potential. I mean, the thing is, right? He's big. 
Uh, and, you know, we've seen that size. It's been overvalued uh, in the past in the NHL among the scouting community. But uh, this guy has got the mobility. He can move. He can skate. Uh, and he's got the puck moving ability. So, absolutely. I've seen the Victor Hedman comparison a number of times online uh, when they came to comparing William Wallander. And, you know, that's where you, you love to see that. Uh, so if I'm a team in the teens uh, and I need a defenseman, and I think I think both of these guys will go pretty high in the end because we've seen in drafts past uh, defensemen, even even the left shooting ones, they these both of these they both shoot left. Uh, they carry a premium, and so yeah, William Wallander, I would not be surprised to see him in the in the teens, uh, in the later teens, and but yeah, he's got the offensive ability. The problem with him is that what he's a bit inconsistent in the defensive zone. Right. And so, but the th- that's the thing, right? It can be coachable. So if you have that trust in your development staff to coach out those bad decision, the, those bad decisions in the defensive zone, he tends to get lost is what I've seen a lot. Uh, just, you know, he just kind of wanders off a bit, uh, especially in zone coverage. Well, you can coach that out. And if you do, well, you've got yourself a guy who's responsible in the defensive zone, but who can really have that offensive ability. He has great passing from what I can see. Uh, and so you're really getting a complete package. If you can get the development right, if you can get, him, if you can coach him right, you got yourself a really special player in William Wallander. Uh, he's got the skills and he's definitely got the size. On the other hand, uh, Emil Andre, I mean, for him, he's he's kind of the prototype undersized player, right? Uh, he's he's really fast. He can move the puck, uh, and he's the kind of defenseman that was kind of a market inefficiency. Uh, maybe like five years ago, but now with, you know, the, the NHL moving to speed, 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 while guys like him, they become more and more valued. And, you know, he can definitely produce offensively. Uh, I think he was in, he played in the Super Elite mostly, which is the top Swedish junior league. Uh, and he had almost a point per game. So, you know, I don't know what the quality of play is like in that, in the Super Elite, but, you know, a point per game anywhere except maybe the QMJHL, is pretty remarkable. Uh, but the thing with him, right, it's the size. But, but you know, you can work on that, I, like in terms of uh, building strength. But that's the concern, right? As When he transitions to the NHL, if with that size, with any, with any guy that's like 5'9", uh, he needs to build the strength to push guys off as a defenseman, push guys off uh, from in front of the net. Uh, but look... I'll take the flyer on this guy uh, in the first round. Uh, maybe a bit lower than Wallander because the ceiling is lower. He's not as complete a player, I find. But definitely the offensive potential is there. And he's got the speed. And if you're a team that's, that needs speed, you're you're in the older side there on the defensive, in your defensive core, I would definitely take a look at this guy as your first round pick. Yeah, every year we talk about how, uh, like, uh, the size, like, oh, this is the year, like, smaller players are finally going to, you know, this is their year because... I'm talking about a size is less and less important, but every year, like we saw it last year with Cole Caulfield, I know it's a forward, so it's a little different. We were all expecting him to go in the top 10 and lo and behold, he falls to Montreal at number 15 because teams are still overvaluing size. So I, I honestly, I don't expect Emil Andre to go in the first round, even though he deserves to, I think he probably ends up going, fall into the second round uh, with William Wallander. Uh, these defensive shortcomings that a lot of people are talking about um, from what I've looked into and found i think this might be a byproduct of the team he played on uh maybe as much as it is himself because i'm pretty sure modo in the league he played in wasn't a very good team 
and he, you know, he took a lot of offensive risks, uh, you know, chipped in offensively. And a lot of times his teammates just either weren't uh, responsible enough or just weren't as good as him. So that didn't cover for him and made him look bad a lot of the time. So William Wallinger is the kind of player where if you surround him with like, like if you give him a, a good responsible defensive partner and maybe, you know, uh, play him with uh, defensively responsible forwards who can cover for him, then they might really make him look a lot better and help him shine and develop into the player that he can be. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing though, right? With, with all these prospects, it's kind of a risk that you take, uh, especially with their downsides, especially in the defensive zone is uh, you don't know if it is the, if the player does have an issue in the defensive zone or if it was the team. Uh, so that's kind of the risk you take, but I think it's absolutely worth taking, especially if, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you trust your coaching, if you think you can put him with a solid defense partner, as you said, uh, I mean, this guy can really blossom into something special. And I think, I think he does have that first pair potential. If everything really does pan out, I, I would not be surprised to see this guy uh, playing on the top pair for a team. Yeah, playing one well. team, one team that I think sticks out that might be a really good fit for William Wallander is a team that's, uh, going to be picking the late first round, the St. Louis Blues. Um, they After Jay Bomeister's probably retiring the season, and after that that scary uh, collapse incident earlier, he's uh, so now they've got like they've got Vince Dunn on the left side, and uh, after that, like really not much else. Even in the pipeline, like uh, okay, Marco Scandella, he was just signed on for four years, but like we both said, we're not that impressed with him. And if he's going to be a bottom pair defenseman for those four years, then fine, I guess might be a little too expensive. But like Wallander is the kind of guy where like if he, if the Blues, I think could help him develop. And because they are, you know, not necessarily known for, oh sorry, they are known for having a, a good, responsible, all-around defensive team. So like their forwards too, especially like you know Ryan O'Reilly comes to mind, that kind of guy that the Blues are modeling their forwards after, so to speak. So I think Wallander could be a really good fit there in terms of the style that team plays and their their need for left defense in the pipeline. Yeah. So you mentioned the Blues. Look, if the if he falls to the Blues uh, or any team in that kind of with that caliber, I think they'll be absolutely thrilled uh, to take William Wallander uh, because of that high ceiling. I think the ceiling is what really he can he can absolutely rock it on the top pair. Uh, so yeah, I think the Blues are an excellent fit. Uh, really, any team that has a has a solid team, right? That's with really any prospect. But uh, yeah, I think the Blues are a great fit. Uh, as you mentioned, they are in need of defense. And look, I, I think he's, I think potentially, especially with his defensive things, uh, his defensive issues uh, that that need to be coached out. I think potentially he's maybe a, a bit of a project, uh, and you need maybe two, three years before we start bringing him up, maybe, yeah, two years uh, to start bringing him up to the NHL. Uh, but look, I think the Blues, they've got a window, and I think the window is still wide open given how they've been playing. Obviously, they won the Cup last year, and they were doing great this year. Uh, a guy like William Wallander, maybe in a couple of years, this guy shows up, plays with Marco Scandella um, on the bottom pair, and, and you can see him make the jump to the NHL. All right, just to give uh, listeners an idea of where the consensus has these players ranked, uh, um, on elite prospects right now, and they've got like a couple different like he's ranked here, here, and here, here. So like William Wallander, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with NHL Central scouting rankings, they have two separate lists: one for North American skaters, so like not necessarily you were you're from North America, but if you play in a North American league, like one of the junior leagues in Canada or in the USHL or college hockey or anything, they have one list for those players and one list for all the players who play in. European leagues and they also separate skaters from goalies so they actually have four lists North American skaters North American goalies European skaters European goalies so uh, it not necessarily 
the best to get such a good idea on like a gauge of where the player is going to go, but it's helpful anyway for like how players compare to each other, like who players who are playing in a similar style, you know? So William Wallander is ranked number 14 for European skaters. So if say they merge the two lists, that would probably land him uh, around like around number 30. Um, he's ranked number 25 by elite prospects, 27 by consolidated ranking, 57 by McKean's Hockey, which is pretty late, 49 by Future Considerations. So I think we would have him much higher than this. And uh, HockeyProspect.com is one of them that does, has, has him number 19. And the Hockey News in their draft preview has him at number 14. So a little bit of, uh, uh, he's a little bit polarizing, polarizing defenseman. And it goes back to what we talked about with like, you know, the boom or bust. And like some some people, some scouts, some teams are uh, what would rather lean towards a, someone that they have a really good solid idea is going to be a good NHL player than someone who might end up being a bust and not being a, a good player. Emil Andre, uh, on the other hand, is ranked number 15. So one spot behind Wallander on the European rankings. 31 by elite prospects, 47 by future considerations, 51 by McKean's, and number 43 by the Hockey News. So most most uh, most outlets have him ranked somewhere in the second round. Uh, I've seen him near the tail end of the first a little bit. That's around where I have him ranked. Yeah, um, I mean, that's about right. I, I have him maybe a tad earlier than that because I do like what he brings as, uh, as an offensive defenseman. So, you know, if I was ranking him, which I haven't, I haven't, I don't have any sort of ranking, but, you know, off the top of my head, uh, probably late 20s. Uh, and for Wallander, I would, I would seriously consider him, uh, it, like around maybe number like 18, 19. I think that's where he belongs. Right now in my, my current ranking, which is, of course, subject to change as I learn more and change my mind, I've got Emil Andre. Wait, let me just check. I think it's 27, but uh, yeah, Emil Andre number 27 and William Wallander number 21 on my list. So subject subject to change, but that's how that's where I stand on it at the moment. Okay, pretty good, pretty good. You got anything else to add on uh, either of these players? Because I'm I'm out of stuff. Hmm, let's see. Well, uh, you know, here here's something to add. A Montreal, assuming that they lose to Pittsburgh and that Chicago loses to Edmonton, will have picks number 39 and 40. In this draft, number 40, they'll have Chicago's pick from the Andrew Shaw trade last summer. And uh, if either of these two defensemen are still available there, even though they do have uh, a loaded pipeline of left defense, and these two players are both left defense and not much on the right side, I think if they could pick up either of these two players, especially Wallander, but maybe Andre, depending on who's available, uh, I'd probably be pretty thrilled with that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, if, if the Habs got... The thing is, right, as you mentioned, it's just they have, they have so many prospects. So I get worried like a guy like Wallander, maybe he kind of gets, you know, he, he kind of, you kind of lose him in the sea of, of left shooting defensemen. But look, if they can get him at 39, they can get him at 40. That's William Wallander in particular. That's fantastic value. If you can get a meal hundred, there are no other steals on the board. I certainly would have no problems getting either of them because right. Despite the fact that they do have that stock pipeline, I think with the draft, you really do have to go with the best player available. Uh, and you can't really draft positionally because, especially if you have a pipeline, because who knows what happens to that pipeline? Who knows, you know, who actually pans out? So if either of these guys are available uh, in that second round, I would not have any problems with drafting either of them. But yeah, as you mentioned, if William Wallander's there at 38, uh, 39, uh, I mean, they better take him. Or I, unless they have unless they have a bigger steal there, 
I, I really think Wallander should not be going all the way to number 30. I don't think he should be falling to the second. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, like, if the, say, the Canadian strength right now in their prospect pool is left defense with, you know, Romanov, Jordan Harris, Jaden Struble, Matthias Norlander, Jenny Fairbrother, maybe, uh, if you want to throw him into that group, I don't know if I would. But anyway, if that's your strength and then you add Wallander, then, I mean, well, your strength just got stronger. And, like, none of those guys that I named have played an NHL game yet. So, really, I don't I don't like the idea of saying, oh, well, we got to – well, we got to keep our, our prospect pool balanced. I mean, yeah, generally it's a good idea, but, like, that's what all your other picks are for. The Canadians have 14 picks in this draft. And, I mean, if you're going to say we don't want to take any left defensemen because we already have a lot of them, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that. I assume with 14 picks, you're probably going to be taking, like, a fair amount of defensemen, uh, probably more forwards considering they took so many defensemen last year. Maybe even, like, one goalie if you want to add a – just, you know, throw a blindfold to throw a dart against the wall, see what happens. I So – yeah, so I think Wallander at 39 would be great is uh, the moral of that little little rant. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, unless you got anything else to add, uh, do you about any of these prospects? I think we can move to the quiz. Yeah, uh, I think that wraps it up on Wallander and Andre. Uh, we'll see, we'll discuss uh, for next week. Maybe we'll take uh, two other prospects that have a little something in common. Yeah, and uh, the goal of this series, I think, is, you know, when I find myself watching the draft, uh, and I see these names, and I never fucking heard of them before in my life. Uh, and perhaps you do too, if you're listening out here. Uh, and the goal of this is, you know, you're watching on draft day, whenever that is, or draft night, and you see one of these names pop up, and you're like, oh, I remember they talked about this guy in the podcast. Now you know something, right? Uh, and hopefully right. you retain something. I certainly did, uh, and I certainly know more about both of these players uh, than I did before uh, my research. So, let's get started. Uh, on our quiz of the week, which I have prepared, uh, just give me a second. I need to open 18 tabs uh, on my Chrome. 18 okay, tabs. So 18 tabs because we have 18 questions. And the name of this the name of this game show or a quiz is Who We Score More For. Uh, and I will I have 18 players here. I will go one at a time, and you just tell me which team they scored more goals for, the most goals for in their career. Uh, and basically all of them have played for a number of teams, some of them less, but we have, all, we have, we have a bunch of uh, journeymen here, but they're all significant players. You'll have heard of all of them. I didn't pick some, some rando who played seven NHL games. Uh, so got a number of former Habs, uh, but they are all pretty challenging, I would think. So I did give you the benefit uh, there are 18 questions, so I give you three lifelines, and the lifelines are I give you all the teams this player has played for in chronological order. How's that sound? That's that, that's what the lifeline is, and I have three opportunities to use it. Yes. Okay. Just to be clear, we're talking goals here, not points. Right. Goals. Just goals. All right. All right. So. Uh... So you're just giving me like the team names in chronological order, not like the which years they played there. Just the team names. Okay, all right. So uh, is there like, do we have a threshold to set for what the passing grade is? Uh, I was thinking about it. I don't know. Do you have any idea? Because if you know, I've got sort of an idea. I think this is going to be harder. So I think it's it's going to be significantly lower. I think uh, maybe around twelve. What do you think? Uh, sure. All right. So that's, that's two out of three if there are 18 guys. So I think that's fair. 12, I get 12 of them right. Okay. I win. 12. That's the bar. Here we go. 
All right. So let's start uh, with a couple I have. So the first one is eggs Benny himself, Ben Sherrod, who he scored more for. All right. Uh, uh, so we only played one year with the Habs. And he played, I, I want to think, let's say, like, four years with the Jets. But I know that he set a career high in goals this year. And he, like, shattered his previous career high. So this is a tricky one right off the bat. Uh, you know, I think he played, yeah, he played a big chunk more with the Jets than the Habs. So I'm going to say the Jets. Okay. One for one. Pretty good All start. Right. Uh, so over the course of, I think it was six seasons, five seasons, uh, with the Winnipeg Jets, Ben Chirot has scored 12 goals with the Jets and nine with the Habs. So he's right. almost he's already he's almost matched his uh, his his totals here in Montreal. But yes, you're right. Winnipeg, uh, he did have more goals than Winnipeg. All right, next up, we have Alexander Radulov. Who he scored more for? Alexander Radulov. All right, so this is tough. Okay, he played one year with the Habs. He's played, so it's not them because he's played, how many years with the Stars is it now? This was his third season with the Stars. I do not know how long he played with Nashville because he played a few seasons, then went to Russia, then came back for like five seconds and then left again. You know, I really, I don't know how well he did with Nashville and I know he's had a couple pretty good years with Dallas. So I'm going to say Dallas. Okay. Off to a great start. He's two for two. Right. Uh, so Nashville, he played two seasons in Nashville first, uh, 06 to 08. Uh, and then he left for Russia. And then he came back to Nashville for nine games uh, in 2011, right? He scored three goals. Uh, right. And that was it for Nashville. He only played three seasons that, or two and two seasons in Nashville and like a tad on that nine games. Uh, but with Dallas, he's had three, you know, decent seasons. He has, he's had 71 goals with them. Uh, Nashville, he had only 47 and Montreal, you know, he had, he had that one season with 18 goals. So, yes, Dallas uh, was the answer by a pretty long shot. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's pretty good. Um, so, third question. Uh, pretty obscure, but, you know, he's a guy. Uh, John Scott, who's, who he score more for? Oh, boy. Okay. this He's played for a lot of teams. Um, he's played He played for Chicago. He played for the Coyotes. He played that one game for the Habs. Uh, but the team that comes to mind that he played the most for is Buffalo. I think he played like at least a couple seasons with them and no one else comes to mind. So my guess is the Buffalo Sabres. He did play for Buffalo, but he only, he only scored one goal for the Sabres. Oh, come uh, on. So, so this guy has, is if, in case you have not heard, this guy did not have a penchant for scoring goals. He's only scored five goals in his career. Uh, so he's been on a number of teams. He's been on seven teams to be exact, and all four of them, he never scored a single goal. Uh, so Chicago, New York, the Rangers, right? The Rangers, the Coyotes, and the Habs. He's played games, but he never scored. Uh, he scored one with Buffalo, one with Minnesota, but the team he scored three goals with in 2014 to 2015, oh, only played Sharks. one season with them, the Sharks. Uh, yes, of so course. two for three. Uh, but yeah, John Scott scored three goals for the Sharks, and that was his career high. Uh, I'm still on pace for the win. Still, still very much on pace. Um, okay, so I'm getting the two pretty unknown guys out of the way. Uh, this guy, former Hab, uh, definitely not a household name. Greg Pattern. Who is Greg Pattern? All right, uh, so he started off with the Habs. 
he was traded to Dallas for Jordy Ben in that trade, which was 2017. Uh, all right, let me think. So he finished that season in 17-18. I don't remember when he signed with the Wild, but he's been with the Wild now. I feel like he's been injured a lot, so it's either Montreal or Dallas. I am trying, but I honestly can't imagine Greg Patteron scoring a goal in a Habs jersey, and I watched basically every Habs game for the past while. So I'm going to go out and say uh, Dallas Stars. Okay. Well, this man in 267 NHL games has scored four goals for three teams. All right. Okay, okay. He scored one goal for Minnesota. All right. And uh, so he played how many seasons for Montreal? He played four seasons for Montreal. He played two seasons for Dallas. Um, I, I thought yeah. it was less than that. I, I thought he was barely right. in the NHL with Montreal. Well, huh. actually, he played he played games in four seasons, but he didn't play extensively in any of them. But he did okay. manage to score two goals in Montreal, which is uh-huh. the answer. He scored two goals in Montreal, one in Dallas over the course of two seasons, uh, where he played like 80 games combined. Uh, so, yeah, this guy hasn't played much, but that's probably the most obscure name you'll see in this quiz. Uh, Greg Patterson okay. scored two goals for Montreal, so we're, we're two for four now. Um, okay, got to pick track. it up a little bit. Oh, I'm not on track, but almost on track. Here we go. Next guy. Um, so I recall on that Andre Markov quiz that you gave me a while back, you know, you threw in Tim Horton, and that was kind of rude because the guy's fucking old. So I picked another older guy, not as old as Tim Horton, but still a former Leaf, uh, Doug Gilmore. Who he scored more for? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the Leafs. Uh, I honestly, you know what? I'm gonna use one of my lifelines here because I feel like there's another team he played with for a long time, but I can't remember who. So I'll use my lifeline okay. right here. So in chronological order, the teams he has played for uh, are the Blues, the Flames, the Maple Leafs. The Devils, the Blackhawks, the Sabres, and then the Habs. Okay, it's either the Flames or the Leafs. I'm relatively confident in that. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Leafs. I feel like he spent the big, the biggest chunk of his career there and his prime there, so that's my guess. Unfortunately, that's not the correct answer. Um, and it's oh, not the on. Flames either, actually. Um, he started his career uh, with the St. Louis Blues, as I mentioned, and he played a solid five years and he scored a bunch of goals in those five years 149 to be exact uh and he scored 131 with the toronto maple leafs and he didn't crack 100 any other team so the answer was the st louis blues um and by 17 goals wow this is rough it's rough for me yeah yeah i got i got my revenge on the uh old guy maple leafs uh okay that's pretty good that's pretty good this is going well as the quiz master um, not on pace to win. All right. Uh, who's next? Who shall I pick next? How about this one? Um, another former Maple Leaf, Philip Kessel. Who he scored more for? Phil Kessel. All right. Hmm, let me think about this. He started off with Boston. He only played a few years. He played six seasons with the Maple Leafs. Um, and there haven't even been six seasons since then. So I am guessing Maple Leafs. Okay, pretty good, pretty good. Back on track. Uh, 181 goals with the Leafs, and the next close is, uh, is with the Penguins, where he scored 110. So the Leafs yeah. by a pretty wide margin. Uh, yeah. And how much is that now? Three and three? Three yeah, out of six? Yeah, three for six. 
Okay. All right. Pretty interesting. Um, all right. Moving on. We have Marion Hosa. Ooh, oh, Marian this is a tough Hosa. one. This is a tough one. He played a long time with the Atlanta Thrashers up until, I think, like 2007. So that would be like, I don't know when he started, but like almost 10 years. And then with the Blackhawks, he played from the 09-10 season because that was their first cup and his first year with Chicago up until when did Hosa retire? Uh, I think like 2018 was his like his skin thing started, you know, coming well known. So I'm not sure because I think he slowed down a little bit by the end there. And he kind of tore it up with the Thrashers, even though I don't think he was there for quite as long. So I'm going to guess Atlanta Thrashers. Okay. So, first of all, a few uh, incorrect facts. Uh, one of which, he ended in 2017. And he only okay, played okay. three seasons with the Thrashers. So I can tell you really? off the bat, he did score... Yeah, he only played three seasons. Because you were missing a team that he played for before for a, quite a quite a while. Let me count the seasons. He played with an NHL team for seven seasons before the Thrashers. Um, oh, because Marion Hossa was oh, I forgot. a senator for seven seasons where he scored 188 goals uh, as a senator and he only scored 108 as a as a thrasher and it was actually pretty close in Chicago he scored 186 so only a two goal difference between the Sens and the Blackhawks but you didn't pick the Blackhawks you picked the Thrashers and so you weren't particularly close on this one uh, Marion Hossa scored the most goals as a Ottawa senator Oh, I can't believe it. I just totally forgot that he... Oh, wow. This is rough. This is wow. rough. Oof. We're, we're having a rough time I'm, on this quiz, yeah? I think maybe I'm due for, like, a big collapse on a quiz because I've been on a little winning streak here, but I hope not. I'm going to I'm gonna stick through it. I've only got room for, for two more wrong answers. Okay. Remember, you still have two lifelines. Um, yes, yes, I know. So I know. Should have used one there. Yeah, for, yeah, I was thinking. He, he forgot about the senators, and if, and if <laughs> you probably would have guessed him had you used your lifeline. Uh, because he did play so long there. No, All probably right. not, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Well, Unless you told me how long he played for each team. But that wouldn't be fair. Well, that would make it a bit too easy. Uh, yeah, so. All right. Next dude. Um, he's bounced around recently. Played for a number of teams. Anthony Duclair. Who he scored for more for? All right. Uh, he started with the Rangers, and he had a pretty good rookie season. But... I'm pretty sure he had disappointing numbers with the Coyotes and with the Blackhawks and with the Blue Jackets. And this year with the Sens. So now he's been with the Sens for like a year and a bit. And he scored a lot of goals this year. So I'm going to guess Ottawa Senators. Okay. So this was kind of a trap because I thought you, I knew you'd think that the, he had his had great time with the Senators. But they are second place to the, the Arizona Coyotes. Um, oh. Because funny enough, his rookie season... I don't even know if he called a rookie season. He only played 18 games and he got he scored seven points. So he didn't actually do that great. It was actually his first season in Arizona, which was his second NHL season, where he had like 44 points. He scored 20 goals there. And that's where most of his goals come from. That's why the answer by a score of 35 to 31 between Arizona and Ottawa, uh, the answer is the Arizona Coyotes. Wow, this is going extremely poorly for me. That's yes, embarrassing. Uh, I'm going to blame my lack uh, of sleep. <laughs> Yeah, you should have come prepared after this one. Um, a seemingly uh, a pretty big collapse, but you still do have, you know, a small cushion. I think you, well, you can have one more wrong answer. Uh, yeah, maybe you'll blow it on this guy. We'll see. 
All right, here we go. Um, next guy. Um, I actually, I, I talked about him on the last quiz. I um, former Hab, that he is. Uh, first round pick in the year 2000. Ron Ainsey. Who he scored more for? These are so hard. I don't like this. Uh, okay. Um, oh, wait. I have a question. Uh, do the Thrashers and Jets count as one team? Sure. They do. Okay. Yes. That kind of made it sound like that wasn't the answer because otherwise you probably would have already considered it. Uh, anyway. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I, I don't know. Maybe don't I'm know long, I don't know how long you played for the Habs, but I don't think it was that long. Uh, unless it was. Unless that's the answer. And I just don't have – I don't know much about like the 2000 to 2008 era. Um, anyway. He left the Thrashers slash Jets for the Hurricanes in like 2014, 2015. I don't know, somewhere around there. He didn't play very long with the Hurricanes, and he didn't play very long with the Penguins. I think it was just that one cup run. And then like Toronto for a little bit and Ottawa for a bit. So I think it's either Montreal or Atlanta slash Winnipeg, and it's it's kind of a shot in the dark. Uh, I'm going to guess the Habs. Well, he only scored one goal for the Habs. Uh, over the course of 32 games. Um, and funny enough, this is Hurricanes, he played, this is awful. He, he played the longest for the Hurricanes, but that isn't the answer. Um, he played four, four relatively, he played three complete seasons, and then he played that season where he went to Pittsburgh at the end. Um, so yeah, it's not the Hurricanes, it's not the Thrashers or the Jets where he scored 16 goals or 14 goals. Uh, the answer is the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, where he played from 05 to 08. And he had a record-shattering 19 goals in three seasons. Uh, so that's Ronald Hayes. Is that the one team that I didn't know he ever played for? Yes, it is. And, and I, you probably should have considered using a lifeline there, too. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, do you have, I don't think you have any more cushion. I, think, I have zero uh, more room for error, and I have half okay. the quiz left. All right, all right. Well, maybe we can lower the bar. Um, so no, how many no, it's okay. It's okay. No? Okay, all right, all right, all right. I believe, I believe in myself. I can do okay. this. Okay, it's time for a comeback. Um, yep. And the yeah. next guy is... Okay, maybe I, I really eased it up on this one, maybe. I don't know. Did I? Paul Stastny. Did you up all the hard ones? Oh, Paul Stastny. Perhaps. Okay, okay. I'm not. I'm going to think this one through. Paul Stastny played for the Colorado Avalanche, the St. Louis Blues, and the Vegas Golden Knights. He's been with the Golden Knights uh, for almost two seasons. Well, two seasons fully if you count this one. It's not them. I played for the Blues for four seasons. And he played for the Avalanche for, I want to say, also four seasons. It might have been like a little more than that. Oh, man. he had. I feel like he had one really good season his last year with the Avalanche, and that's why he got signed that like big deal with St. Louis, that expensive deal. So I might be. This might be. This might be it. It might be it for me because I. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing the Avalanche. All right, the dream isn't dead. Uh, because right. he played. He played eight seasons for the Colorado Avalanche. Wow, um, that's more than I thought. He scored 160 goals. No other team is particularly close. Uh, 56 for St. Louis. He had four goals in that little run with the Jets that he had, where he was traded to them uh, before oh, yeah, joining the Knights, where he's had where he's had 30. So Colorado, 160. Um, and that's that's number four for you. Uh, the dream isn't dead. And I like this question, this next question. 
because it's kind of spicy, and it's a pretty big name in the league. Uh, it's Artemi Panarin himself. Um, who he scored more for? Ooh, hmm, okay. He played with the Blackhawks from from uh, 15 to 17. He played two seasons with the Blackhawks. And then... Seventy and then two seasons with the Blue Jackets. Okay, okay, this one's rough. It's not the Rangers because he's only been with them for a year. It's either Chicago or Columbus, and hmm, I really I'm trying to think through this logically, but like I don't even know because he was just really good the whole time, you know. Um, he played with Patrick Kane though in his with Chicago. Maybe that helped boost his numbers a bit, but like his numbers didn't drop off. Yeah, this is just going to end up being like another 50-50 guess for me. Uh, hmm. Unless playing with Patrick Kane drove up his assist numbers and not his goal numbers. Okay, now now that's giving me pause. I'm really hmm, okay. I'm not I don't I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. All right. Uh let me try to think this through. For some reason, I can more vividly picture him scoring with the Blue Jackets, but uh, maybe that's just because he's been with them more recently. And also, maybe I just shouldn't trust my own visions because that didn't really work out for me the first time. Uh, I'm really I'm going back and forth like every five seconds. I'm not sure which one to, to pick. You know, my first gut instinct was the Blackhawks because he was playing with Patrick Kane. So I'm going to guess Chicago. Okay. First of all, I just want to say, after the cakewalk that was the quiz two weeks ago, um, this is much more entertaining. As, as a game show host, I gotta say. Um, and second of all, uh, in relation to your answer, so he did play two seasons with both. He played basically full seasons. Uh, in all four seasons that he played with the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets, he scored more points with the Blue Jackets, but your gut was right. He did score more goals with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, he scored wow. 61 uh, with Chicago and 55 with Columbus. So this, quiz is awful. this is like something I would make. Like, how, how am I supposed to know? I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to know. But uh, that's where it's at. So that's pretty good. He's still okay. alive. He's still got yeah. a shot. Let's go. Um, another pretty big name, I guess, is noted Washington capital, TJ Oshi. Okay, uh, I'm not sure exactly why you said noted Washington Capital, unless that's supposed to be like a hint or like misdirection no. or something. He's a current but Washington it, Capital. That's why I said it. All right. He's current Washington Capital, former St. Louis Blue. He was traded to Washington uh, the day after the Phil Kessel trade, which was twenty July 2015. I remember that. So that means he's been with Washington for 16, 17, 18, five years. And... I'm not sure exactly when he jumped into the NHL with the Blues. Um, how old is he? He's like 30, around 30, which would make him drafted in 2008. Hmm. You know, I feel like maybe TJ Oshie really only made a name for himself like in like the one or two years leading up to the trade to Washington, and he's been a really good top six winger the whole time with Washington. So I'm going to guess the Capitals. So with the Blues, this man has played seven seasons. Uh, compared to five with the Capitals. Okay, I'm um, not sure now, but... That's interesting. That's an interesting fact. With the St. Louis Capitals, over seven seasons, he scored... Wait, wait, who? 100... You said the St. Louis Capitals. What? Oh, shit. The St. Louis Blues. My bad. Okay. Um, the St. Louis Blues, he scored 110 goals over the course of seven seasons. 
For the Washington Capitals, he scored 128. So yes. he's on a streak. Three in a row. Okay, got this momentum. Let's go, let's go. How many more do I have? I have seven more names. And seven. they get more. Yeah, they get, oh, uh, yeah, seven more names. And they get this more and more as we go. All right, here we go. Um, I saved the pretty hard ones for last. Like, I got Great. some awesome. out of the way at the Great. beginning. Um, but we got some harder ones at the end. Oh, wait, I don't think I have seven. Wait, I forgot to, I forgot to, uh, Delete. I think I for, we already did great pattern, right? So I need yeah, to delete yeah. that tab. So we have six. Yeah, seven sounds like a lot. Okay, six left. Okay, six. Uh, let me just check my chart. One, two. Yeah, we have six. So the next guy is he still? Did he play last season? He did play last season. Okay, that's cool. Jeff Carter. Who we score more for? Jeff Carter uh, was drafted in 2003 by the Flyers, and he. Stuck with the Flyers till he was traded to Columbus in 2011, and stayed with the Blue Jackets for like 30 minutes, and then no, that's an exaggeration, like half a season. Then he was traded to the Kings. He won a couple cups with them, and he's stuck with them until now, uh, which is about eight years. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he was with the Flyers for like maybe a little under eight years. I don't have such a good gauge for how much Jeff Carter scored when he was with Philadelphia. He was probably pretty good. I know he's put up pretty solid production with LA up until recently. Uh, I'm worried again about like recency bias, but like I don't know how much Jeff Carter scored with Philadelphia. And I also don't know... Exa- Wait, you know, there's a good chance he only broke into the NHL like after the lockout year. Because that's when a lot of rookies came in from the 2003 draft, which means so wait six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, which would have meant like only six years with the Flyers. You know, I'm I'm gonna guess the LA Kings. He's been with them for longer. LA Kings. Okay, all right, that was some A plus logic. Uh, and it's very close between the Flyers and the and the Kings. Okay. So he played what six six seasons with the Flyers, notably one where he scored 46 goals. Uh, career high and he's played nine seasons for the LA Kings so let me tell you right now he's with both of these teams he scored 180 something goals so the difference is only five goals between the two teams awful this is awful the correct answer with 186 goals is the LA Kings yes wow great awesome awesome Okay. Four in a row. All right, I got five Absolutely. left. I got to nail them all. Okay. Every single one go. of these players is, a, is an emotional roller coaster. Here we go. He's still alive somehow. I thought he would be done. When, I, I thought you were going to be done. Four questions ago, but he's still going. I've nailed a couple right, 50-50 guesses like Panarin and Carter. I, I've, oh. I've gotten I've gotten lucky with them. So let's hope he's I still got luck rolling. two lifelines. Remember, he still has two lifelines that you can use. Yeah, yeah I will. So, I will. Next question. He is the Edmonton Media's Whipping Boy uh, in that song that came out like two years ago. Chris Russell, who are we playing more for? All right. this I always get mixed up on who Chris Russell played for, so I would like uh, the teams, please. I'm going to use my lifeline. Okay. So I'll even give you his draft spot because I'm feeling nice. He was drafted 67th overall. All right. Um, awesome. Great. With by the Columbus Blue Jackets, 
Um, and then he went on to play for the Blues, the Flames. Wait, did the he Stars. play for the Blue Jackets, or was he just drafted by them? Yeah, he he played for them. He played for the Blue okay, Jackets. Okay. He played. Then he went to the Blues. Then he went to the Flames. Then he went to the Stars. And he went to the Oilers, where he currently resides. All right. Um, the the Blue Jackets, the Blues. Was it? It was the Flames after the Blues. Yes. Okay. Um, the Stars. He only he was only with like that was a deadline acquisition, and then he. Uh, wait, did he extend with them? I don't think so. No, he, I'm pretty sure he signed with the Oilers that summer. So it's definitely not Dallas. Edmonton, he's now been with them for like four seasons. Um, the Flames, I don't think it was that long. The Blues. Uh, you know, I feel like either with the Blues or the Flames, he had like a decent offensive output. I Honestly, I feel like I don't know. This is very reminiscent of the early questions that I totally blew, like Ron Hainsey. So I have a, a bad feeling about this one, to be honest, but I'm going to guess the St. Louis Blues. Okay. Well, he scored zero goals for the Stars, so you're correct in ruling them out. This guy has never had much of an offensive output at 46 career goals. With the Edmonton Oilers the last four se- Yeah, the Edmonton Oilers the last four seasons, he really hasn't done shit uh, in terms of goal scoring. He has eight goals. In four seasons, that is not the correct answer. Wait, nice. what was your what was your guess again? What was your guess? Was it the Blues? Yeah, my guess was the Blues. Way to go, Quizmaster! <laughs> Forgot the guess. All right. Well, you know what? I can tell you right off the bat, that's not the right answer. Um, no! The answer was the Columbus Blue Jackets Ugh. at eighteen goals. Um, he scored only five goals with the St. Louis Blues, uh, and so after a remarkable run of like four or five answers in a row, um, unfortunately. You you're gonna have to take it. You're gonna have to take an L on this one. Yep, I take the L. I take Chris Rucko. Who are the last players? Okay, another former Montreal Canadian, Yannick Weber. Who he scored more for? Oh wait, oh I'm still guessing. I thought I was done. I thought you were just gonna tell me. Ah sure, why not? Let's go through these things. Let's see how you do. Uh, fine. All right. Now that I'm totally disheartened from losing, I'm probably gonna do pretty badly. Uh, but I'll I'll try I guess. Uh, Yannick Weber, he's played for Montreal, Vancouver, and now he's with Nashville. Uh, I know he played a little bit of forward with Montreal, but I still don't think he scored much. Uh, and I think he actually I think he played a lot with Vancouver. So I, I'm gonna guess the Canucks. Okay. Well, he's played he played you know three seasons with a house where he's played less than six games. Um, and then he had two seasons with the Habs where he played 41-60. So he didn't play much. Uh, and he scored five goals with the Habs. So it's down to the Predators and the Canucks. The Canucks, he played three seasons. The Predators, he's played with four. But he did have that career high in Vancouver with 11 goals in a season. And that's what carries him over. You were right on that one. 17-6. to six, Vancouver. Um, a very low-key yay there and celebration. Uh, next one, we have uh, noted Quebecois. He's never played for the Habs. It's Derek Brassard. Ooh, okay. This guy's played for a lot of teams. Um, I don't want to use my lifeline. I want to try to get them all. He, he went from Columbus to the Rangers to the Ottawa Senators to the Penguins to the Panthers to the Avalanche, and now he's with the Islanders. Uh, after I guess, then you can uh, tell me if I was right on that or, or wrong. 
But uh, I'm pretty sure I got it all. I'm pretty sure I nailed it. Uh, he was with Columbus till the Rick Nash trade in 2012. And then he was with the Rangers till the Zibanejad trade in 2016. And he wasn't with the Sens for that long. Uh, I think it's the Rangers. I think he had some good years in New York, uh, especially the year that, where they made the Stanley Cup final. So uh, I'm guessing the Rangers. Wow. You know your Derek Broussard. Um, 69 goals of the Rangers, and that's where he's had the most. And you were right on the order uh, of the yeah. teams. So he's done his trade tree homework, this guy. Um, so uh, next guy, we have yeah. the, the Rick Nash trade tree. I don't know if we ever talked about that. Well, uh, you might have heard of uh, our listeners might have heard of the Steve Dangle trade trees that he does from time to time and has picked up a little bit on the Sportsnet YouTube channel during quarantine. A couple of years ago, I decided to look into the, the Rick Nash trade that sent him from Columbus to New York in 2012. And uh, basically, it's massive and still ongoing. And there are like 200 moving parts, and it's probably never going to end. And Derek Broussard has been was a part of that originally tra- trade, and he's been traded so much since then. So that's what, probably one of the reasons why I was so intimately familiar with uh, Derek Broussard's, Broussard's career track record. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. All right. Second to last question, the penultimate question. Um, current guy who is still active. I was about to say his team, but then I realized it's kind of a spoiler. Um, current guy, Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle. I have one lifeline left, right? I think I'm going to use it here. Yes. Okay. So, drafted in the first round, 26th overall, by the LA Kings, whom he played for. He then went to the Rangers, the Lightning, the Maple Leafs, the Devils, then the Predators, and then the Panthers, where he currently resides. Okay. Uh, Maple Leafs, Devils, uh, Preds, and Panthers have all been pretty short stints. So I'm pretty sure it's one of the other ones. Uh, Brian Boyle, trying to think, he was on the Rangers for their cup run, or cup final run in 2014. And I think he left for the Lightning after that and made the cup final again the next year. I think I remember that being a thing. So he was with the Lightning for like two and a half years, I want to say. So it's down to either the Kings or the Rangers. Um, You know... I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my recency bias again because I don't really have a memory of him playing for the Kings, and I'm gonna guess the Rangers. Okay, he's on. Uh, well, it's pretty tight between the Rangers and the Lightning. Let me tell you that. Um, five five years of the Rangers, three years of the Lightning, but he scored forty something for both. Uh, with forty four goals, the winner of who he scored more for uh, for Brian Boyle are indeed the New York Rangers. Um, right, so, on this back stretch of uh, these questions you've done pretty well for yourself not gonna lie uh okay pretty good pretty good uh and the last question the banger um mr game seven himself justin williams Justin oh i don't know uh okay he played with the hurricanes uh he played for the kings for a long time but he went back to the Hurricanes. After, well, he played a little with Washington, but I don't think it's them. He's only there for a few years. And he's been back with Carolina for like a year and a half now. Uh, this is a tough one. He he won the Con Smythe with LA, but like I don't know how much regular season scoring he did with them. I feel like he had like a lot of 20-goal years. I might have even had 20 goals last year, honestly. Uh, I'm going to guess the Hurricanes. That's my guess. Okay. So yeah, this is a pretty intricate question. Um, he did score 20 goals last year. He's He's been on the Canes for the last two and a half years. 
um, since 2017. Oh, great, even more than um, I thought. Okay. Yeah. So it's so you're you're right in Philadelphia, Washington. Those other two teams, they don't oh, really matter here. It's yeah. really down. Okay, cool. Yeah, you started with Philadelphia, but they don't really matter here. It really is down to the Kings or the Hurricanes. He had that great stretch with the Kings, but he does have two stretches with the Hurricanes. Um, so they, he scored a hundred goals with both, and in his first stint with the Hurricanes, he scored eighty-one goals, and then he went to the Kings, where he scored hundred and three goals. And with the Hurricanes this time, he scored 47 goals for a total of 128. Yes. So it is the Carolina Hurricanes. So you end on a couple, you end on a how many streak? How many was that in a row? Um, I think that was four I got in like a row. eight of the last right? nine or something. Wow. Chris Russell, uh, your, your downfall. And did surprisingly well. I thought it was going to fall off a cliff after that horrible start. But uh, I like it. You yeah, I stuck with there. it. I stuck with it. Pretty good. Pretty good. So yeah, that concludes the quiz. Yeah, I think more uh, than half like of this episode yeah. was that quiz, or at least half of it. Okay. Yeah, I came prepared for this one. It was eighteen questions, so uh, you know yeah, that was a long. One. That was a marathon. Yeah, and you ran it pretty well, gotta say. But it does take the L. Um, I said two weeks ago that I, I would I would end this winning streak, uh, and I've done so successfully. Did. Yeah, well, I bring a nice, fun little game of Guess Who last week, and then here you bring, like, Ron Hainsey played for a million different teams, and who did he score two goals for? Damn right. Damn right. I, I bring the, and Greg Patteron, too. Don't forget. Greg Patteron, um, Scott. Oh, it was awful. Awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So do you have anything else to add before we go? Uh, anything else to add? No, I don't. Uh, hmm. Uh, oh. Arthur Kaliev, we can talk about this for like 30 seconds, signed his entry-level deal with the LA Kings, along with Jordan Spence, two drafters from last year. Uh, Kaliev might remember as uh, being, I personally, we didn't have a show yet, but Adam ranked around like number, in the mid-teens, and he ended up falling off with number 33, tore up the OHL with the Bulldogs again this year, scored a million goals, and uh, you know, I think he might have an outside shot to make the LA Kings next year, so uh, good for him. There, that's my last note. Nice. Uh, I just looked them up. Bit of trivia. Where was he born? What country was he born in? Oh, it wasn't... I know he's like... He played for Team USA, but he was born in... Oh, was it Uzbekistan? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Thank you. Yes, it was Uzbekistan. All right. So, yeah. Good for Arthur Kaliev. Um, guess he was a steal at that part of the draft. Um, yep. So, looking pretty good for him. Uh, and unless you have anything else to add, that'll nope. do it. For us, this episode. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Always means a lot uh, when you guys stick around, and especially if you've made it through that marathon quiz. Uh, and yeah, we'll see you next week, perhaps with a couple of new prospects and uh, whatever news comes out from the NHL. Sandborn's Boys today.